0: Everything will be all right everything thing is gonna be all right
1: good day and welcome to the Pandemi show stories of the pandemic for people living in the pandemic no one is alone on the pandemic show on today's show, Dave talks to Dave about the changes in his tech industry lifestyle as they celebrate taking on one during the 21st hour, the 21st minute, and the 21st second. Dave moved from an apartment to a small house as the pandemic marched on. And although the pandemic hasn't changed his workaholic lifestyle much, he is loving backyard birding. His techie background enlightens us to the great embrace of technology that didn't materialize 20 years ago with the dot-com bubble. But now people who have never zoomed are zooming. Couch community technologies like hardware, streaming, etc are tracking up as new demographics use them to cope with the pandemic.
2: Today we're speaking with David Hayes from San Francisco, California. Dave, thanks for joining us on the pandemic show. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. The pandemic show is talking with you on a special day. It's the 21st day and we'll be talking during the 21st hour and the 21st minute and the 21st second of the 21st year of the 21st century.
0: That is cool. We should have had like a Christmas crackers. Let's actually denote that exact second. It, it
2: makes me feel like it's like Pi Day or Groundhog Day. 21, 21, 21, 21, 21.
0: Exhausting to hear. Did you practice that? That just rolled off your tongue. I'm afraid to say it now.
2: I stayed up a little bit later than usual because of the time change. And I was cruising internet memes. And I saw a lot of people highlighting that. And I got a kick out of it because I know you work in technology with software. And that's the kind of thing engineers, software engineers, and a number of people they're into that kind of
0: stuff, right? We are big into numbers and and the memes. We're all about the memes at work.
2: Well, it's good to hear you laughing. Can you tell us what your life was like in San Francisco before the pandemic?
0: Yeah, I always feel awkward mentioning this, but I'm, I'm one of the people for whom life, I mean, life got worse for everyone, obviously, like this is a horrible thing. But the, the delta between my life before and my life now is one of the narrowest that I've experienced. And I always feel bad sort of highlighting sort of the negative things that have gone away. Right. So I, I am a workaholic, you know, that about me and I actually lived very close to my office. I lived a 10 minute walk and I spent a lot of time walking back and forth. And it was pretty common that I look at the clock. Oh, it's eight o'clock and I'm still at the office. And the only reason I noticed is I'm hungry. San Francisco is this amazing, vibrant uh, city. There's an aspect of it that is just anti-vibrant, right? So. After the earthquake in 1989, there was sort of south of market was, was built up. It's, it's the, the newest neighborhood. And so it's a mishmash of sort of attempts at affordable housing and attempts at the most housing you could fit in a particular area. It's full of tech companies. It's full of stores of ill repute of sort of methadone centers. And giant apartment complexes, and like I said, tech companies. Now, I hate to say this, but in, in some sense, like getting out of my very narrow loop kind of got me out of my, I was in, I think I was in like a, a cultural or like a living situation rut. And I've actually, I've since moved, but I've only moved a mile away. I moved to just east of the Mission District up in Potrero, moved from uh, a wildly overpriced apartment to a mildly overpriced house. I'm still, I'm still working too much. Is um, that
2: near Jerry Garcia Park?
0: I hope so. I don't know, though.
2: I've only been to Jerry Day a couple times there. That just sounded like the area. I'm not too familiar with San Francisco. I vacationed there several times with family. But yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful climate. And I think that's interesting how you had such a small habitat from your apartment to your work and the restaurants and shops in between. And then you've moved. And now you have a wider territory, but do you really have a wider territory? Are you like the rest of us not leaving your
0: house? Well, I am exactly like the rest of us not leaving the house, but I, the house is so much nicer. So I, I now, I, I become a bird watcher, but I've definitely turned into my father and I, I am now a bird watcher. There are birds that come to my backyard. I, I have a backyard. I know that's not exciting for most of the world, but uh, like I'm a consummate urbanite and this is my first backyard in a decade. And I've got robins and I've got hummingbirds. I've got a particularly brave raccoon who who really wants to get to know me and, and what I'm eating. All right, you can eat outside. Trash I don't panda. Mean to, trash panda, yeah. I don't want to rub it in, but but our backyard's down in California. We get sun year-round. It, uh, it was 23 degrees on the weekend. I actually oh, had to come inside because it was too hot.
2: We're about to get hit by a polar vortex here in Ontario, apparently.
0: You have my sympathy, but uh, I'm also laughing at you a little bit.
2: That's cool, though, that you're watching robins and hummingbirds. I know right now I'm watching the winter birds, the red-breasted nuthatch, cardinals, blue jays, chickadees, juncos, downy woodpeckers. And I was at my mother's house, so I wasn't here at the time, but my neighbor texted me there's a bald eagle soaring over top. In the Grand River watershed, the bald eagle populations are really on a rise, I think in a couple of years, you might end up going to the dump and there'll be hundreds of them, but they're really a population that had crashed, I think linked to DEET. And now they seem to be really rebounding in a upward trend around here.
0: Well, you've definitely outed me as a very much a beginner bird watcher because I think you named more kinds of birds just in that sentence than it.
2: Birding as a community. Well, that's very kind of you to say, I'm sure you're going to see more in your backyard too.
0: <laughs> My goal is to get to know them. So rather than being able to identify 20 different species, I want to get to know Florence and yeah. Mark, and I don't know, I haven't named them yet, but they'll, they'll, have, they'll have good names.
2: Do you have a hummingbird feeder set
0: up for them? Oh yeah, that's, that, they drink, they go through it way faster than you'd expect. They're tiny, but they just keep going, right? The, the same ones will be back every 10 minutes.
2: They have a really unique tongue for slurping up the pollen.
0: They are amazing. I just, I don't understand how evolution just sort of went that direction. They're amazing. I love watching them.
2: Yeah, they're a beautiful bird. That's one one thing that's been quite common, though, is people are reconnecting with nature, whether it's urban nature or rural nature, with your new space and your larger outdoor access are really appreciating the birds and finding that really relaxing during the self-isolation of the pandemic.
0: Yeah, I think if we've been having this conversation, I really, I literally just moved in here a month ago. If we've been having this conversation two months ago, I don't think I'd have the same perk in my voice. I think yeah, it was a rough time to be trapped in a very small indoors.
2: I can I only have empathy for people in apartments dealing with elevators, dealing with stairs. That's why the pandemic show is here. No one's alone at the pandemic show, and those people in the high density living. I hope they appreciate uh, get a chance to appreciate the pandemic show. Season one, our opening music was bird sound, bird calls, just to try to help relax people. And now we have a have a uh, wonderful San Francisco band doing our intro, uh, Big Value. I think that's their name. It's a San Francisco bar, uh, bar band from the 2000s that does our music now, but we have bird calls at the exit of our of the show too. So is there a particular bird you'd like on your exit? Would you like a robin or a hummingbird?
0: I do not know. Oh, wow. You, you're asking the tough questions. I'm going to defer to your choice here. i I'm confident that you'll make the right one.
2: Well, it's like Tuna Fish said at the Lyric in Kitchener with Jurassic Five so many winters ago, each one, teach one. The lockdown started in San Francisco. Can you just describe it?
0: Yeah, so... The chronology as I remember it is, you know me, I, I, I love St. Patrick's Day, right? I love all the, yeah. uh, the the social holidays. Let's let's use that euphemism. And I distinctly remember canceling my plans for it. There's this new mystery virus. I guess it was less of a mystery and more of a mystery about how dangerous it would be. And it just, you look at it, it's like, well, that's crowded people. That's that's just beyond my risk tolerance. And I, I remember actually having to explain it to, to a couple of people, like the people that I, I had originally planned to go out with. And it being very contentious, like this is not, you know, it's it's nothing. It's something we saw on TV. It's like, you know, if I told you I'm not doing something because so I'm afraid of Ebola, right? Ebola is a vague concept that, that doesn't really hurt us, not, not regular people, right? Doesn't and, come here. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no. like, And then what happened, and I don't remember exactly which company went first, but maybe a week after that, Just the first company took it seriously. And I I think it was Twitter. Twitter just said, you know what? Everyone work from home. We don't want you to get this. And then I think it was like hours later that the next company and the next company. And so the reason I remember this is because as an executive at my company, we we had to throw our emergency meeting and wait a minute, what is our plan, right? Mm -hmm. And within a day or two, I mean, my chronology could be off by a a, a day or two, but it was just like, imagine it was Monday, everything was normal. Tuesday, it was the early birds saying work from home. Wednesday, was we were saying work from home. By the end of the week, the major tech companies, certainly the ones that cared about their employees, had all decided, you know what, this this just isn't worth risking it. And we all had to. We all thought it would be for two weeks. I remember fielding questions like, should I bring my office plants home? They can survive two weeks, and you know, erring on the, the the safe side. And then it just went from. It was amazing how it went from vibrant city where. You know, everyone was out for St. Patrick's Day. I think it was a Friday or Saturday to complete Ghost Town. We we locked down as hard as, as any place during that first pass. And like when you mentioned, and it was hard. Like the the trade offs were real because San Francisco is in some ways the most dysfunctional housing market on earth. I, I love so much about the city, but I whoever is in charge of, of the housing decisions uh, really. Needs to, to think long and hard about their decisions, and so when, when people were sending, were, were working from home, it wasn't uncommon to have three people living in a two-bedroom apartment and all of them working from home. So you'd you routinely see the you know, the Zoom calls where you could you could see that everyone had their headphones on, everyone had their microphone, trying not to interrupt each other's calls because people were stacked on top of each other. I live in a tiny apartment. You know, I moved to San Francisco. I'm at work 10 hours a day. I'm out living, you know, in in the most, again, the most vibrant city that I've certainly ever lived in for another four hours a day. And then I, I sleep and maybe I play a few video games. So thinking about your housing as someplace where you would be trapped 24 seven, almost yeah. nobody even had the, even if that was your plan, most people couldn't afford it. So it was, uh, it was very frustrating.
2: There's real parallels to Toronto. Once the weather got nice, people had to get out and were in the parks. And then some people were, Judging saying, oh, you shouldn't be out in the parks. But when you know how expensive Toronto is, and San Francisco is even worse, people are living in subpar housing, not properly zoned housing. They're living in storage spaces, they're stacked in like sardines. So I get it. They need to get outside to maintain their sanity. There's probably people living in scenarios where they don't have proper sanitation or proper cooking facilities. So yeah, I identify. And San Francisco is so much more expensive. Now, the trend we're seeing in, in Toronto now is that condos and and apartments and things like that are coming down. Is there a similar trend? The rents are coming down 10 or 12 percent. Is is there trends like that in San Francisco as people try to get out into the countryside in the suburbs?
0: Oh, yeah, I can do you one better than than 10 or 12 percent. I chose where I live specifically because I'm a workaholic and I wanted to be close to work. And so I lived there for two years. The the From the first year to the second year, they raised my rent uh, like seven or eight percent. That was just, that was expected. They they know exactly where your pain point is that you will pay it without moving out. And my pain point was about 10%. They beat it. And then when this all started, you know, I hadn't planned on staying there and they came down 30%. Wow. So it was a fun conversation. It was actually, you could hear the pain on their side because San Francisco has been in a housing bubble for, for so long that almost everybody who's on the real estate side just doesn't okay, it's not fair to say they don't know how to do their job, but they don't know how to do their job. They're, they're not used to, used to
2: scarcity or they're not, they're, they're just used to a lineup for subpar.
0: Exactly. They're used to people showing up and going, oh, wow, hot and cold water. And the outlets are grounded here. Take my money. Here are my references. Please let yeah. me have this house.
2: I remember the first time I visited San Francisco was in 2000, just before New Year's. And it's it was going through a gentrification then and that gentrification has since spread to Oakland and other parts of the band. I know free Fremont now is, is Uber expensive. So a lot has happened in the last 20 years. So the real estate agents and the renters, the owners and the, and the renters, they would not be used to this dynamic where there's, it's hard to get, it's hard to get people because before it was the, they had the pick of the crop, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. Even, even this place, Right, I paid a safety deposit first last month, rent right, the, the usual stuff, but at the showing, the, the woman who was showing us this house asked for, sorry, it's a cashier's check or a money order, some something non-refundable and untraceable. Right then, right. The, the idea being here, you know, just give me an untraceable amount of money, a sight unseen of the contract Bitcoin. or anything. Yeah, yeah, it could have very well been Bitcoin, and it was like, hold on a second, we just want to we just want to make sure that the person we're just giving this check to. Actually owns the house, and you Correct. didn't just right yeah. like a little bit of due diligence. And the shock on her face that we wanted to do hours of due diligence. Like we're still comfortable doing it the same day, we just wanted to double check. I'm sure, you're not getting ripped off. Yeah, I mean that's yeah that's that's how I was raised. Like you don't just you don't hand over a bag of cash without being at least a little certain that the bag of cash is going where you think it's going.
2: So besides housing and birding, what other trends or things have you noticed about the pandemic? Failures of the pandemic, successes of the pandemic.
0: I'm a huge optimist, and this has been a challenging time to be an optimist. But one of the things I'm really excited is the stuff that we all knew we had to do eventually, right? Like since at least the year this is the dot com bubble, we've been talking about how remote work was going to be the thing we do. We're all we're going to move to the paperless office. Remote work is is going to work, and now we're doing it and it's working just fine. Like a lot of, when we talk about the housing situation, that is entirely uh, an offshoot of us realizing not only like the companies realizing that we, we can work this way, but people realizing that they can work this way. The number of people who are eager to do remote work and the number of companies who are you know tolerant of remote work because it management. I mean, hopefully you don't have too many managerial listeners that I'm going to alienate, but a lot of managers are basically going through the motions, right? And if if there's a bunch of people in seats that they can sort of see working, they feel like they're they're getting their money's worth. And it's a lot harder when it's, okay, my relationship with you is here's what I need done. And I can't, I, I don't know if you're working on it or if you're playing video games or if you're having a long lunch, but I know if it works or, not, or if you've done the thing or not. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but that, that's the kind of, Thing we have to do anyway like why would you be asking people to do stuff and you don't know if it's good or not and you only know if they're sitting in a chair or not right so i, I yeah, listened no.
2: to 90 i listened to 98.5 ckwr canada's oldest community radio station out of kitchener waterloo and on the larry fine show they were talking about on the money minute that there's going to be a clash when COVID kind of gets under control and the vaccine, there's going to be some companies and some employers that are going to want their employees back. And then there's going to be some that are going to realize what you were saying, that this has been a long time coming. And that's going to lead to a bit of labor market disruption. The workers that are able to choose their positions, they kind of decide where to go. And it'll be interesting to see where the cream of the crop goes. Because yeah. on the same the same breath, I've heard on the CBC morning show, there was... A woman speaking how she's at home working, but all of her kids are at home doing school. And so there's nowhere here for her to work quietly. So there's a new trend that hotels are renting out rooms for day trips to get work done. If you have a, <laughs> uh, uh, like you were saying, if too many people live in an apartment and you've got a big assignment due for work or task due for work, it might be more productive to get a hotel room where you have some silence. What do you think will happen? Do you think employers? especially the tech companies in the Bay Area are gonna say back to the desk?
0: I definitely think like, I think a lot more of them are gonna say it than succeed at it. I don't know where we're in the middle we're gonna land, but specifically to the Bay Area and I'm underselling how much I, I love the Bay Area, right? Like the last year had been a year of workaholism for me, but generally speaking, this, this is the city I love living in. So the, the house I live spe- uh, at right now, specifically every Easter, they, there's a, something called Bring Your Own Big Wheels, where they take the, the steepest street in San Francisco and put some hay bales on, on the scariest corners. And for the day, grownups and children ride big wheels down the street, and that street is beside me. And I'm not gonna say that's why I live here, but it's not not why I live here. I just love the, the fun, and so I wanna stay here.
2: Yeah, that the said, sense of community and the, the different community activities.
0: Yeah. But there's a lot of people I know, and some of them work at my company, I've definitely worked with a lot of them before, who are here because sort of the paycheck for their skills, it's a financial equation, right? Rent yeah. costs more, you know, my rent doubled, my paycheck doubled, the amount I'm saving doubled, and, and what I'm working on is a lot more interesting. And already you're hearing from them, well, okay, the mix of exciting stuff in, in San Francisco or, or you know, further down, you know, in, in I wanna I wanna say Cupertino and, and San Jose, like those are interesting places to live. They don't appeal to me, you can you can hear it in my voice. But like that mix of things just isn't worth living here, right? What they want to do is they want they want to live in their hometown or they want to live in the Midwest or they want to live somewhere cheaper, or uh, one guy I know wants to live on a boat, right? That's yeah. and I don't know what fraction of them are gonna be coaxed back into nine to five sitting in a cubicle, but it's nowhere near a hundred percent.
2: Yeah. I good. Good analysis. So do you think you
0: might've had COVID? (laughs) I do think that at least once a week, I think that I either have it or have had it because it's scary and it's, it's on the news. Right. So no, I don't, statistically looking at the numbers, I don't think I've had it, but you know, ask, ask me the right time of the week or the, you know, you ask me when like, if I've just coughed or I've just sneezed, then yeah, I have it.
2: (laughs) And I think that's something that we're all going through now. What's the talk about the vaccine down there? Is the vaccine gonna help us get through COVID, give us this
0: her- elusive herd, herd immunity? I'm 100% uh, a believer in how well the vaccine is, is going to work. Especially you look at the studies, you look at the efficacy rate, and this is just so much better than, than even the flu vaccine. When you look on the news and you hear that California is the epicenter, they don't mean San Francisco, they mean Los Angeles. We take everything very seriously when it comes to like keeping people safe. So our COVID rates are lower. There is no, nothing approaching an anti-vaccination movement. It's, so I, at the very least, I'm comfortable that within sort of the sphere of of this city and and some of the more progressive cities and progressive areas are not all cities. I'm absolutely confident that we will get to, to herd immunity. Very, I wanna say quickly, I mean it's it's been so long that I don't think we can say quickly at this point but yeah I think we will get to a safe place here and in, in the progressive places but I do worry about the the patchwork right like yeah. I worry about I don't want to say the vaccine's been politicized but I think people's pre-existing you know reluctance to do anything that might benefit their neighbors more than it benefits them and and pushing back on that instinctively so I do worry about what what the patchwork will look like but I'm excited like my family still is in Canada I'm confident that the area that they're in will be good. I'm confident the area I'm in. But I'm a little concerned, obviously, about people who who might be in one of those areas that, that is pushing back against vaccination, even if they themselves are pro-vaccination.
2: What's the atmosphere like in the United States on January 21st, 2021? Bernie Sanders wearing his mittens in the <laughs> Capitol is breaking the internet is there more of a sense of relief or calm? I know there, months ago, I think the sense was agitation, frustration. What's next?
0: I'm personally very reluctant to, to speak to you know, the, the mood in the United States, certainly across the United States or even the, the mood of, of Americans. There's definitely a lot of jubilation and you know that we no longer have a government that is not taking this seriously and golfing, if you will. I don't think that the, the friction... I don't think the conflict uh, is over. I think it's just going to take a different form. And I think that's just going to be with us for a while. Sorry.
2: Well, there's definitely a different tone at the federal level that appears to be taking coronavirus that much more seriously.
0: Yeah, I I very much enjoyed watching uh, Dr. Fauci's most recent news conference where I didn't learn anything, right? It was super boring. He just gave us the facts, but he was smiling. And it filled me with confidence, right? This is not good, but we're, we're at least the beginning is over. I don't know when the end is, but we're we're making progress.
2: Seems like there is an attempt to get a plan or to implement a plan where there might not have been a plan before.
0: I think that's, that's a fair characterization. And it's one of the things that frustrates me as a Californian is watching how low we are on the leaderboards in terms of our vaccine distribution. I think California loves to overcomplicate things. And, and we've overcomplicated this instead of just sort of getting out there, jabbing. jabbing as many vulnerable people as possible.
2: So is it the bureaucracy is slowing it down?
0: I th- I mean, I, so I'm actually a, a big believer in sort of the democratic process where you've got, you know, give and take, and you've got two strong sides actually arguing about things that matter. And I think one of the challenges that California has is, is that we are largely a one-party state, which even if that party may agree with you, it means that there isn't really a, a loyal opposition doing the work to, to make them honest and and make them do do the best version of their plan. And I think that that's slowing us down.
2: What other technology trends are you seeing that are a result of the pandemic or the pandemic might've accelerated? I know one thing I'm concerned about is cybercrime and scams because that's what's, I know I'm getting calls to have my ducks cleaned up. We're getting emails that our credit cards have been stolen and we just have to give them our access for them to reimburse our money. Any kind of technology trends you you see that the pandemic is highlighted?
0: Yeah, I definitely. So I, I would hopefully identify as very very tech savvy and hopefully immune to sort of cyber crime in general. But I'm not so sure, right? Like you don't realize how much of our sort of sense of what is it, what it, how you detect a scam is sort of rooted on is this uh, normal behavior or is this like strange in some way, right? Is my my spidey sense tingling? I go from meeting to meeting to meeting and just you know, you could, you could probably trick me. And that's paired with not only are we changing to something that doesn't work for our, our spider sense, but even change is confusing, right? Like if I told you, you we're trying to give you $600, but we don't have your banking information. Give us your banking information. A year ago, that would have sounded like a scam, but that's an actual thing that's going on. And it, it's something that, that in the initial implementation was rushed out and people fell through the cracks. Like, and that is, that is an anti-scam. That, that is literally the federal government trying to give you $600. Yeah. And if that is supposed to, like if you have to adapt your, your scam sensor to both lose a lot of its signal in terms of what gets into the office, but also you have to attune it to weird and strange things that have never happened before. The shifting to, environment. Yeah, I just think that that at the margin, right? Like scammers don't craft a particular scam for you. They, they, they craft a scam and try it on a hundred people. And before this, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, maybe they're getting one in a hundred. Now, if they're up to five in a hundred, right? Not only does that mean more people are getting scammed, but that means that the scamming industry becomes more profitable. If, if there's more people you can scam with the same scam. So both of those are worrying.
2: It's something I'm definitely fascinated by and want to pay attention to and hope I'm not a victim of. I've, I've embraced technology that I've avoided before.
0: The, yeah, that is good to hear. I'm, so if I can like jump into my, my work persona, one, one of the big things that we're, we're seeing is meta stuff around, you know, so it's impossible to escape the, the work from home COVID related trends. Right. So it's not only, so anything that, that connects you with other people, right. It gives you the impression of connecting with another person. So I don't know if this holiday season, you tried to get your hands on a Nintendo switch, so you could play animal crossing, or if you tried to get an Oculus or, or an Xbox, I'm just, uh, hopefully these are sponsored. Anything that sort of simulates that, that human interaction is, has been much harder to get a hold of and much more rewarding. I actually got my parents virtual reality goggles. And oh, wow. I don't know if they like it or if they like doing something with me, but once a week, my parents and I, we play Beat Saber, which is a game where you've got swords and uh, you listen to, to techno and, and EDM and you use those swords to break blocks. If I tried to get my parents involved in this any other time in their lives or my life, it would not have worked.
2: Very techno Viking.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they don't last long, but but when they're in it, they're in it to win it.
2: So, the gaming community then there's is the trend that there's more people gaming than ever before, and it's harder to get the games when they come out
0: yeah, well, I mean unfortunately, the games can be digital, right, so okay. you can make as many copies, but the it's it's the hardware that that's the block and and you see the same thing anything that works well on your couch couch community couch community exactly is much harder and much more in demand, right So you see the streaming services right so Disney plus is just had i mean they launched with, with fantastic timing. And they're just, they're just cleaning up, right? Like this is a not only do you want something to do, but it's a stressful time and nobody de-stresses better than like watching Disney movies from your childhood. Yeah. Just package that up in a subscription.
2: And, and Netflix just, their stock just went up because they in the fourth quarter got a tremendous amount of new subscriptions. I don't know if it was 80 million or more.
0: That does not surprise me at all. I've gone from, At the beginning of this, I had Netflix and Hulu, and now I can't even count how many I have. And and it's funny because TV and movies are coming out much slower as well. And when they do, they're coming out in different ways. Like I watched Wonder Woman the day it came out in my own home. Can't speak too highly of the movie, but I've been looking forward to it, and it was fun to watch.
2: What do you think it'll be like after the pandemic has run its course? Or do you think it will run its course?
0: Don't ask the question that way. It has to run its course, right? This is, I mean... Sorry, like I've been I've been responding to your questions because it's sort of about my experience. But I mean, we've lost almost half a million people in, in this country alone. This is quite literally unsustainable. Right. And I, I mean, you, you can hear me hesitating and, and hemming and hawing because it's just like I can't even engage with how awful that is. And the the the, the lockdown and and the, you know, being stuck on our, in our houses is we're doing that because it's the better option than than having millions of people dying. And so there, there has to be a light at the end of this tunnel. And there, there will be. And like I said, I'm I'm confident that between vaccinations and, and well, vaccinations are a big part of the story, but just also sort of improved treatment. And I think we're gonna I think we're gonna be in a good place. I'm obviously not an expert, don't don't take my opinion on that, but yeah. So the question of what it looks like at the other end, that's where where I get to like let my optimism fly freely right and i'm really even when we talk about work from home mm-hmm. i honestly i don't think that everyone needs to live in cities i for for a very short unhappy time i was commuting an hour back and forth to, to a job in toronto and i was just i was burning time i was unhappy i was burning fuel but one of the, one of the things that i have done a lot in my career is is tag along on sales calls to help the sales team And there've been times when I would get on a flight from San uh, San Francisco to New York for six hours in New York and I get back on the plane the same day. I hated that, but just the the carbon impact of those things. And the fact that we've proven that we can live in a world without intercontinental sales calls. I I just, I'm really hoping that there'll be a lot of improvements there. I know this, this is more important in the States, obviously in Canada, but like we are so far behind the civilized world in terms of worker protections, right? Like it is, it is insane that the year is 2021 and we do not have mandatory sick leave. And if we get one thing out of this, well, okay. If we get one thing out of this, I probably got a long list of one things. But (laughs) one of the things that I really, really hope we get out of this is just an acknowledgement that sick leave is good for everyone, right? I don't want, I don't want to work with a, a sick person at work. I don't want to get my food made by a sick person. And when I'm sick, I don't want to go to work and just norming that or even and like things that are similar to that like the idea of wash your hands more often i'm not i'm not going to name names but there are people who just do not have basic i am sick hygiene right and yeah. i'm actually a little bit hoping that the mask thing is a little bit more normalized right the the flu in in japan and other asian countries is not as bad just because of those two things and we can we can make that better here too
2: the sick leave is a big debate in Ontario right now. And the Mm -hmm. provincial government doesn't paying, paying people to stay home when they're sick rather than taking, going to work with COVID and spreading it. That's a big discussion up here in Ontario as well. So it's interesting to see how the California discussion is very much being paralleled here in, in Ontario, about how do we support the the labor force? And do you think you're going to get paid sick leave down there in California?
0: Okay, here's where I have to break out of my my optimism mold, and I think that for the people, that it is the most important. Even if we do get it, we're gonna find a way around it. So we we recently had an election, and we passed a, a ballot measure to make it so that like the the Uber drivers and and the Uber delivery people and and DoorDash. I'm still trying to get you the sponsors. I'll just keep naming companies. Yeah, please. Uh, but so they basically restructured to preserve sort of the best aspects for the companies of the independent contractor relationship, and to some extent the worst parts for the employees if paid sick leave is too effective i think we'll i worry that we'll find we'll ride around it but again it that doesn't mean it's, it's not worth trying it's not worth standardizing on
2: yeah it's it's interesting i know i've been thinking is this the time for a universal basic income it's almost like we had it in canada for a while with the serb although it was only going to people that were unemployed but a universal basic income, especially now with automation, what it is? How are we going to support all these people? Like it doesn't seem that there's enough jobs for everyone. And the pandemics really demonstrated how employers like to use part-time labor to avoid paying benefits. How do you get the rich to pay taxes if they don't want to pay taxes. It's very tricky.
0: that was a, that was a hard turn. You're, you're really you're really working my brain here. I don't know where I stand on on universal basic income specifically. But one of the challenges we have in the U.S. uh, that, again, most first world countries don't have is exactly what you said. Like so many of your benefits are tied to your employer, right? And not only are they tied to your employer, but your employer pays a very different price than you would if you you left, right? It's tax subsidized, it's advantaged. You're part of a bigger pool. So I don't know where I stand on universal basic income, but I'm excited about the progress that we have made with, with, with the Affordable Care Act and the progress that Biden is threatening to make in terms of widening that mandate to make the idea of changing jobs or starting your own job less terrifying. Hearing from a
2: lot of different sectors, I know the United Nations said this too, that we need drastic change. We need once in a century type of change to address climate change and all these other pandemics. And it seems like COVID has shown us that when there is the will for collective action, it can be done. I don't think the pro- the neoliberal progressive conservatives under ford nation in ontario are going to bring in paid sick leave for the safety of all and the safety of the economy but i wonder what the next government will do and i wonder what people will do in the polls i wonder if new political uh, candidates are going to come out out of this like it's going to be interesting to see what happens at the next election cycling in canada hopefully it's not as much of a nail biter as the one in as the presidential one <laughs>
0: It was very compelling television. I'll give it that.
2: It was a roller coaster. I know we're up here in Canada, a separate country, but it's so much of what happens in the States impacts us and our economy. So, I mean, we were all watching, and it looks like there's going to be an attempt at peace and reconciliation in the United States. I think that's what the, the world needs, and I think that's what the Earth needs.
0: Yeah, I think anytime you've got – well. Uh, uh... A better actor is always worse. Or is always very better than, than a worse actor, right? So, like, the United States is a huge chunk of the world, certainly in terms of like if you're talking about the economy, but also in terms of environmental damage and, and environmental innovations. So, yeah, anytime it goes better for us, and I'm I'm gonna keep saying us. I mean, you you know, I'm Canadian, and for me, one of the biggest things about you know, the the change in leadership is I haven't been able to go home, right? And one of the reasons yeah. I, I can't I can't come to Canada because, I mean, strictly speaking, I could, but the, the hoops I would have to jump through are basically untenable. And, you know, the fact that I, I get to watch our numbers, like we are, anything you can do, we should be able to do. And just to watch, watch the divergence of sort of good community-based thinking, really. And hopefully um, we're not going to get angry tweets for this or anything, but one of the things that, one of the, the big distinctions between Canada and the US that I, that I felt is just the salience of saying, we should do this because it's good for everyone versus we should do this because it's good for you. Right. And when you look at things that are good that I have to do to keep you safe, like wearing a mask, I have to do for the next generation or the generation after that, for like environmental things, the the, the salience is is more in Canada.
2: There's yeah, definitely seems to be a debate between individual and collective rights and a lot of selfishness, but yeah, I think there's I, kindness, I think there's kindness on the horizon.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's one of the things that always blows my mind is like, you talk to any individual American and they are all kind, right? I remember at one point I was, many, many years ago, I was actually, I was traveling ac- across the state and I was waiting for, for my ride at a gas station and people kept giving me money. I wasn't asking for it. They were just, I didn't have a hat out. I was literally just standing there bored and pe- like they would ask me what I was doing and it was just so independently kind. And yet it's weird that, you know, the people who are proud to not wear a mask, it's really hard to, to reconcile the same sides of the sort of the same population. And I wonder if six months ago,
2: leadership in the States had been saying to wear a mask, what could have been avoided?
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that is very frustrating. You, you don't realize how clear you have to be in your messaging when you're talking to a large group of people with, with differing views. And even actually, you mentioned at, at the top of the show, you know, uh, closing down parks and things like that. And I distinctly remember in April, although California and San Francisco in particular were very, we trying very much to do the right things. They overreacted and, and almost did things that just to show that they're trying to do everything. And they were closing down the beach. The beach is the safest place to be. And, and we're not talking about Venice Beach or someplace that's fun and warm and, and lots of people go to. Our beaches are cold. You don't yeah. have to worry about too many people being on our our five degrees Celsius beach uh, in March.
2: There was so little information early on in the pandemic. And I I know you mentioned St. Patrick's Day. I canceled my St. Patrick's Day plans. I was in Waterloo at my mother's house that day, and I drove by Ezra Street where the traditional St. Patrick's Day party happened, and it was ghost town, except for municipal services there just in case.
0: Wow. I'm picturing that, and it's just making me sad. It was good, but I'm still, you know, everything about this makes me sad.
2: But- with St. Patrick's day having been canceled and then every holiday, subsequent holiday. I mean, now we're getting close to groundhog day and I'm, I've been holding off, but I have to make the official announcement that I'm going to have to cancel my annual groundhog day party and Euchre tournament, you know, we're in lockdown. It's not going to be open. Schools are closed. I know you're allowed to have five people gather outside for mental health, but yeah, I'm, I guess you heard it here first, folks, on the Pandemic Show. Groundhog Day, eucarternies canceled. I feel sad because I had four groundhogs in my freezer that I was going to cook up and serve to the crowd. But I guess I'll just have to eat them solo.
0: I I'm crushed to hear that. What what are you in for? How how much how much meat is a groundhog? I've never cooked well, a it's, groundhog. Well, it's
2: it's it's more than a guinea pig. Maybe the size of a big medium rabbit depends on the size. But a groundhog, whistle pig, woodchuck. It was a it was a traditional food of the early settlers, and it's in a lot of early settler cookbooks.
0: I mean, I have to believe that. Like I've I've seen a few of them in the wild up in Canada, and, and I think I could catch one if I was a lot more good, a lot better at being an outdoorsman. I think I could catch one.
2: Put a put a garden out, and they'll come, They'll hit your garden, little pests. <laughs> now Groundhog Day is approaching, Dave. Do you think Wyerton Willie, Pensacola Pete, and all the other Whistle pigs out there. Do you think they're going to predict early spring or late winter?
0: It is my sincere hope and my expectation and my hope that they're going to they're going to see an early spring, and it's going to be followed by a very rousing speech about climate change, with some some serious proposals that we can implement on a time frame that'll that'll impact what we're, where we're going.
2: I'm with you on early spring and working with the animal kingdom to fight climate change. Now. The last couple of years, there's been a new entry into weather predicting species. Lucy the lobster, the lazy crustacean from Nova Scotia. She's also thrown her claws and tail into the arena and she started predicting the weather. Do you think Lucy the lobster will predict an early spring or a late winter?
0: i, I got to go with exactly the same answer, like the early spring, but if they differ I mean, I, I hope somebody's keeping track and like we're, we're understanding like what the hierarchy of, of prediction accuracy is between these animals if, they, if there's different ones to choose from.
2: I think their accuracy is very high, 30, 32%.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a number.
2: <laughs> now, I know when Lucy the lobster came on to the weather predicting, the seasonal predicting stage, some people said, how can a dirty crustacean predict the weather? They're not a warm-blooded mammal. And, you know, that kind of speciesism, that just doesn't have any place in discussing early spring or late winter.
0: I was going to say, like, I'm glad that you're not furthering this this anti-crustacean bias that I'm just hearing about now, but uh, it sounds like it's widespread. If
2: we can end anti-crustacean bias, then that's just one more reason the pandemic shows here.
0: I support that. Sign me up for your newsletter. I'm in.
2: Fantastic. Well, Dave, thanks so much for talking to us. It was great to get a technology perspective and a perspective from somebody living in a large global American city. So thank you so much for your time.
0: Thank you for having me. This has been great. Look forward to listening to it. Awesome.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's story from the pandemic. We're all in this together and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemyshow.ca. Be a part of our community by rating, subscribing, and sharing The Pandemic Show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Stories from the Pandemic for the people of the Pandemic.